0: Let's open up to Jonah chapter 3. We're going to get started at, by reading a text together. All right. And if you, any of you little ones want to just stay here, it's totally okay. I, We have a microphone here. We can, We can speak louder than the little ones. Don't worry about that. All right, Jonah chapter 3. Let me read for us the entire chapter of Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of Yahweh came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. That is the first time he obeyed, right? According to the word of Yahweh, Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. And he issued a proclamation and, and published through Nineveh, saying, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let men and beasts be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from the evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Wow. The year is 1941. The world is in need of heroes of war. Steve Rogers wanted to do his part and join America's armed forces but the military rejected him because of his small stature. Finally, Steve gets his chance, and when he's accepted to an experimental program that turned him into a super soldier, who is it? Captain America. And then he ought to fight the enemies, which are the Nazis, but instead of fighting them, he actually forgave the Nazis because they apologized, and he he pulled back all the American soldiers. If you guys haven't seen the Marvel movie, Captain America, Sorry, I spoiled it spoiled for you, all right. Team Rocket this time successfully stole Pikachu. Any Pokemon fans here? Ah, there's a few, I got one here, that's my son. All right, Team Rocket this time stole Pikachu and shoot him off to Cambodia. Ash would never see him again, but this time Jesse, James, and Mel, he asked for forgiveness, so even though Ash would never see Pikachu again, he forgave them, and they were on good page. Lastly, on the morning of December 7th, 1941, Japan attacked the U.S. naval base at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. The surprise attack by some 350 Japanese aircraft sunk or badly damaged 18 U.S. naval vessels, including eight battleships, destroyed or damaged 300 U.S. aircrafts, and killed 2,400 men. But when a Japan- Japanese commander says sorry, the USA, "You know what? That's okay. I can forgive you." What's wrong with any of these stories I just said? Did any of these things happen? No. Why? Because in a movie, if the bad guys attack the good guys, what does a what does a good guy have to do? We're gonna fight back, get justice, right? You punch me, I'm gonna punch you back, right? In in the beginning of World War II for America, Japan bombed our naval base in Hawaii, in Pearl Harbor, right? Did the U.S. just say, oh, that's fine, no worries, you you apologize, I'll forgive you. No, because we expect a response when injustice is done. And so that is what people expect of justice, right? So we understand a concept that's not difficult for us because we're image bearers of God. We understand that the the justice of God demands retribution. There must be a punishment for wrongdoing. Did, isn't it God who said that in Proverbs 17, 15? That he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to God. It makes sense to us. Bad guys need punishment. That's Natural, easy to grasp. But today, we're going to look at another attribute of God. We praise God for His holiness. Absolutely. We also praise God for His mercy. Now, mercy is a concept that we appreciate from afar, right? We thank God for what He did on the cross for us by taking our, our sin for us. But when it comes to our practical living, how often do we fail not only to give it to others, but we fail to appreciate mercy. Jonah was exactly like that. So, oh, oh, today's, if we—if ha- any of you guys are taking notes, which is like zero of you, maybe two of you, okay, good. We're, the outline today is, uh, chapter three of Jonah is, the uh, verse one through four is a messenger and the message. Verse five through nine is a, a mass we see a massive repentance and lastly we see a merc- our merciful God We talk about the justice of God, the just of God, the holiness of God and that's exactly what Jonah had in mind right we, we spent the last two Sundays looking at looking at this now the first Sunday when Matt Cassing was here he was t- showing us why it was so hard for Jonah to go to Nineveh. You guys still remember some of it? So in case you guys were not here, Jonah had the exact same mindset that we just did. He understands that God is holy and he needs to punish wicked people. But he has a problem for understanding understanding God's mercy. Tim Keller puts it this way for Jonah. Jonah wants a God of his own making. A God who simply smites the bad bad people. Just like what Marvel did with, with, with the evil guys the Nazis, right? For instance, the wicked Ninevites and the and, and so Jonah wants God to smite the wicked Ninevites and blesses the good people, right? For instance, Jonah and his countrymen. But when the real God, not Jonah's kind of faith God shows up, Jonah is thrown into fury or despair. Jonah finds the real God to be an enigma because he cannot reconcile. He cannot, un- he cannot put the two together. How can this God be holy and yet merciful? Last week, we were blessed by Micah's message, remembering that God didn't just pursue the Ninevites, right? He was also pursuing the missionary. He was pursuing Jonah. Jonah has to learn a lesson to understand not just the holiness of God, not just the power of God, not just the, the, all the omnipri- om- omniscience, omnipresence um, omnipotence of God. He also has to understand God's mercy. For Jonah, it doesn't make sense. He would be saying, God, don't you understand the Assyrians are bad people? Assyrians are so bad. Some of us will ask, how bad? How bad are the Assyrians? Well, history would say, after capturing an enemy, the Assyrians, any kids here? Other than my kid Okay. The Assyrian soldiers would actually cut off the limbs of the enemies. And then as the enemy is dying on the floor, They would take out the limb and just shake hands with that broken, the the hand that has been cut off, and make fun of the dying soldier. See, Assyrians are not friendly people. They are wicked. They deserve to be punished by God. See, Jonah understands that God is holy. He also acknowledges that God is merciful. We will see that in the next chapter. But he doesn't want God to extend that mercy toward the Ninevites. He thinks that the Israelites, God's people, are better. Better than these wicked Assyrians. John MacArthur says, Ratio, racial feelings run, ran deep in these days. And with some people, they run deep even today. Jonah felt that Ninevites deserve judgment. He felt that they deserve condemnation, not salvation. And he was afraid of the mercy of God. He was afraid of the grace of God. And he felt the Gentiles would corrupt Israel's privileges and especially as a prophet of God did he know that if the Ninevites repent they are going to be in a better position than the Israelites who are apostates it's easy to look at Jonah and say Jonah you are a racist you just think you are better than another race but how often do we do that in our own context we come from some of us came from the west some of us came from the states. We think that we have a better way. We have a we have a longer Christian history. We know how to do the Christian thing. We know how to be moral. We know how to we know how to take care of the poor. We have a better system than some of the local people here, right? We drive on the left side of the road, so that was a problem for me in Nepal. They're always driving on the wrong side because we have the right system, but they don't, right? So we think we're better because of our background our race and sometimes we look at the system here in Cambodia we think man they really screw up here i got pulled over by a cop a couple of days uh, two weeks ago three weeks ago now because i just popped on my truck and haven't got my spell fully buckled down and i got pulled over right and i w- the cop showed me and many of you guys probably have this experience it's not about the law. And I was trying to explain to them that this is, I'm pulling, I'm putting my buckle on as I'm pulling over. He just told me, this is how much you got to pay. The entire 20-minute conversation is just going back and forth. Is it going to be $50? Is it going to be $15? Is it going to be 20 Right? So, so we, as foreigners, we're thinking, this is injustice. God, have mercy on this guy. Right? But how often do we think, man, Am I, am I being, am I being Mm -hmm. wrong in the way that I look at, not just the injustice system here, but overall that we have a supreme culture compared to the West here, just like what Jonah had with the Ninevite. Sometimes we think that our ways are better without examining that, that instead of pursuing for. The justice system to be better here. We have to learn from what Jonah had to learn also to see the mercy of God. <sighs> see, last week we see, we saw that Jonah had to repent. Jonah was trapped in a fish for three days. Anybody went to cor- COVID quarantine here? Anybody got trapped in airports for a few days? Right? It's not it's not very pleasant. Now. For Jonah, it wasn't very good. He had to learn his lesson a tough way. All right, we see. Let's come back to our text real quick. We see in in verse three there. Sorry, in verse four. So Jonah did have a change of attitude. It, it didn't. It didn't. It wasn't easy for him to go from okay, I'm gonna run away from Nineveh and go to Tarshish. It took him a lot. It took him a quarantine in a fish to get him to the place where he needs to be. See, the, the Bible doesn't say that every difficulty is because of sin, but it does teach that every sin will bring us into difficulty. So for, jo- for Jonah, it was his sin of rejecting God's message that brought him into that quarantine, that brought him a difficulty. Tim Keller, said, Tim Keller says, sin always hardens the conscience, locks you in prison of your own defensiveness and rationalization and eats you up slowly from the inside. All sin has a mighty storm attached to it. Many of us can share the same experience, right? When we we enjoy the sins that we want, when we want to do things our way, (laughs) we are sometimes, perhaps not get stuck in a fish, but we have to learn that there are sins, there are consequences to our sin, and sometimes we get stuck in a pretty deep bottom. So for Jonah it was a 3 day 3 day 3 nights in the fish and he learned his lesson. All right. The lesson if you have your Bible's open we go go back to last week's passage in chapter 2. The theme verse of this whole book of Jonah before he was ready to be commissioned by God he had to learn this very very important principle. This is if there's one phrase from the book of Jonah this is it in chapter 2 verse 9 that Salvation is from the Lord. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. If you have a highlighter, marker, circle, whatever you do in the Bible, mark this down. The theme of Jonah. Jonah had to learn that salvation belongs to Yahweh. So now that he, all these are background. Now, now that he has understand that salvation belongs to Yahweh, not belongs to him, not belongs to he thinks his race is better than this. So he thinks they don't deserve salvation. But Jonah has to learn that salvation belongs to Yahweh now he's ready to be used by God now he's ready to go so now let's take a look at the great city coming back to our text God told Jonah in verse 2 arise go to Nineveh the great city what makes it a great city it was much much larger than the capital of Babylon back then um it is a uh, Assyria was a growing power. It was estimated there were roughly 600,000 people oh uh, in this city of Nineveh. The walls are 100, 100 feet high that you that that you can ride about three carriers on these walls. In order to go from one end of the city to the next the text here says is it is a in verse 3 it is a 3 days walk. It is a large city. This, remember this is this is about twenty-five hundred years ago. This city is not small, and they are—they are quite powerful, to say the least. And what? So the city is big. And let's see what, what Jonah's assignment is. In verse two, what did God say to Jonah? Jonah, God told Jonah, "Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim, proclaim to it." It is this word "proclaim" is helpful. It is. The same word that God used in Genesis one, and God says, "God called the light day. God called the night night. God called things into being. That's the same word that is called. The word proclaim is it? It, it means it, it, it. refers to to carry out a task, to carry out a message, and that's it. Um, that's what." We see in the Old Testament prophet from Jeremiah, God caused Jeremiah to go and proclaim this word toward the north city and say, Return, faithless Israel. And in verse 4 of Jonah, we see the word proclaim used, translated to word cry out loud, to beg them to say, Guys, judgment is coming. There are 40. Um, they, have you guys ever heard of the saying that preach the gospel at all times and use words when necessary? Everybody, anybody heard of that? You guys know where that came from. People, many people thought that it came from Saint Francis, but he never said that. I look into, I took into the records. He never said such thing. Somebody made that up. But man, how many T-shirts have I seen growing up in in California and see preach the gospel and use words if necessary? Well, my. Brothers and sisters, that, that is simply not true. Nobody will come to a saving knowledge of Christ unless we use words, unless we explain what the message of gospel is. If Jonah was only charged to go and live a nice, kind life to the need he wouldn't be running away. No, God wants him to speak. God doesn't just want him to live a nice, kind life so that people will see, wow, Jonah, you're so nice. You have love and hearts coming all over you. No, that that is not the message. Jonah, go and cry it out. Go and speak. And that is the same charge for all of us here as Christians. We can't stay silent when God has called us to speak. And now the difficult part is for Jonah, it's a message that God has asked him to speak. What kind of message is God preparing for Jonah? Let's look at the text. In verse 4, this is all we have from the message that Jonah preached. He says, Yet 40 days. That's it, right? Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Man, don't you wish he had a... a, he He wrote down his message a little bit more. That's all we got from this one of the biggest revival of all times, like 600,000 people turn. This is all we got, Jonah, come on. But when, even though we don't have a big sermon from Jonah, we can to see something, right? 40 days. Gotta ask, why, why 40? All right. Of course, we, we any student of scripture would think, okay, Moses, Elijah, Christ in the desert, 40 days, uh days. Uh, 40 years in the desert, right? For Moses, 40 years of shepherding sheep. 40 years for Israelites to be in the desert. Uh, Eli- uh, Ezekiel lay on his right side for 40 days when he sleep. The three kings reign for 40 years each. King Saul, King David, King Solomon. Global flood during Noah's time was 40 days at night. There are a lot of 40s in scripture, yes. But don't miss the point that God could have said, you only have four minutes left and then judgment will come. And that will be very merciful of God, but God gave them time. God didn't judge them right away. God gave them time to repent. A warning to us friends here is that we, we may not have another 40 days. We might not. Some of us think we have 40 years. Some of you younger teenagers here, you're like, ah, I don't need to worry about the Christian thing. I, I'm young. I can, I, can, I can worry about death and hell and stuff that later. Don't, don't take that for granted. There may be, you know, tomorrow. For them, there are there were 40 days. For us, don't let that... Don't wait. J.C. Ryle said... Oh, sorry. Book of Hebrews says in chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. J.C. Ryle said that true repentance is never too late, but late repentance... Is solemn true. To some of you kids, I'm looking at mine also. You hear the stories that your parents tell you day in, day out, week in, week out. Don't just let those be stories. Examine them. Think, is this true? Is this a Christ I want to believe in? For you teenagers, bigger kids, don't for a second think that because you grew up in a Christian home that you are saved. It's because we're, especially for Americans or Europeans or Australians here, because you have a Christian culture that we're born Christians, don't for a a second think that we have a salvation because of our race, because of our heritage, because of our family. Don't wait. To some of us Christian adults, we've been serving Christ overseas, we've been Christian, professing Christian, for not for a long time. Don't, don't think that we're safe because we're doing good works for God. For some of you guys are in college, going back to colleges. Don't think that because you go to Christian university, doing Christian work, doing short term missions, that you're a Christian. Examine your lives. Are you going closer to God today than last week, than a year ago? Do you love him more? this year than two years ago. Examine these things. Don't don't assume that you're safe just because you have the right background, right race, right culture. <laughs> so the warning that Jonah had for Nineveh is also a warning for us that repent, otherwise judgment will come. You see, there, there, there are a lot of churches out there. <laughs> for you adults, you may, might have heard of this already. And for you younger guys, younger girls who are going to college, who are maybe spending time in the, in the States, there are lots of churches that will tell you, Jesus loves you. He wants you to, to have a wonderful life. God is here for you. Well, that is true. God does love us. But look at what Jonah said. That's not the Jonah's message. He didn't go to Nineveh and say, "Hey, you wicked people that pick, pick, cut people's arms off, God has a wonderful plan for you." No, he said, "You have forty days. You guys are going to die. You guys are going to go to hell unless you repent." He didn't tame down his message. And look at the strategy that Jonah used, right? He didn't. He didn't say well, let me, let, me, let me bring you to church first. Let, let, me, let me welcome you in first. No, he didn't, he didn't use any of these gimmicks and, and strategies and tactics, which I'm not saying that those are bad things to use for us to share the gospel, especially here in Cambodia. There are things we've got across culture to understand how to effectively communicate the gospel. But for Jonah, what did he do? What was his strategy? He does what every prophet had to do. He listened to what God tells him to say, and he said it. Sometimes we make the mission thing way too complicated, don't we? Okay, time is running short. I'm let's let's keep going to uh, in our text. We are, now we're in the big repentance that we see from the Ninevites in verse five through nine. First, we see the citizens' repentance. Right. Verse 5, first part. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. The people of Nineveh believed in God. That same word, believe, means to have faith in, to trust. In Genesis six, Genesis 15, verse 6, Abraham believed in Yahweh. In Isaiah 28, verse uh, 16, says, Therefore, thus says Yahweh, uh, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. The same word belief is used to refer to people that put their faith, put their trust in God. You may ask, why on earth would these Ninevites, they are wicked, they are strong, they are mighty soldiers, why on earth would they believe in this guy named Jonah? Why would they believe in Jonah? Well some historians says that there has been a lot of problems going on in that country. Uh, some people they they, they think that, uh, that Syria has famines, plagues, revolts. All these problems are happening inside the country. That's why the state of affairs would have made both the ruler, the king, and the people to be more receptive to the message. That could be right. That could be right. That might be there might have been a lot of plagues and famines and problems going on. Or maybe they saw Jonah's face. You know, you, when you sit in a fish for three days, first, your face is probably not very, f- don't have much fresh air. But remember, stomach has acidic. It's acidic, right? Anybody with chemical background will know that if you put your skin inside acidic, just put your ha- hand in a b- bottle of lime for a few hours, you you will not like your hand afterwards. Jonah was there for three days and three nights. Perhaps they saw their face. It's like, dude, this guy is ugly. We got to look at him. We don't know the exact reason from a, physiological standpoint but we do know that God was preparing them God has a message for them and if God is the one that's going to bring a message God will prepare the soil for us uh, for Jonah to preach just on a side note right? talking to a bunch of arrogant Assyrians sometimes remind me of some of you guys might be doing college ministry in the future some of you guys are in college you know you know what teenagers like they like to rebel. You want me? You don't want to tell me to study? No, mom. I'm not going to study. Well, that, 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 that's easy to get. You know, it's really easy to get to teenagers. Any, any teenagers here? Any teenagers out of fear, right? Hey, go work out. No. I'll say, don't go work out. I'm going to show you I'll work out. Hey, don't believe in Jesus. You can't believe in Jesus. I'll show you. I'll give my life to Jesus right away. So, so when, you, when you go teach college students, just say, I'm going to tell you a message that you won't believe. You can't believe. There's no way you believe that Jesus died for you. There's no way. And they will say, Watch me, bro. I will believe in Jesus. That's one strategy. I don't know if that's... I don't know if that will work for you guys, but... That's not what Jonah did. That's just a sign up. That was free for you guys. See? Looking at the Ninevites again. What is the text says? Do they believe in Jonah? Hmm. If you look at verse, if you look at verse six, seven, eight, nine, we see that not only did they not rebel against Jonah like a teenager would, these people they have action. They didn't just say, "Okay, I I believe you, I believe I believe what you're saying, Jonah." You got got forty days all right, I'm just going to go home, do my old thing, live my old life. How many people have you shared the gospel with and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I will sign my card, write my name, and I will come check out your church one of these days. Have you guys seen some of those people before? Right? They say, oh, I repent and believe Jesus. I will do what? And then the next day, you know, they go back to their old ways. Does that mean that they truly believe in Christ and follow him? Absolutely not. But that's not what we see in the people of Nineveh here. We see them, they have immediate action. You see, their action doesn't earn them forgiveness. Because they understand what is, who is it they're offended. Their wicked action against this God. Their action have offended him now because they believe this message. It is... It, it's interesting. It, the text doesn't say that they believe Jonah. The text says they believe God. right? If you look at verse 5, the text says they believe God. Isn't it awesome to see someone who says, because they believe God, now they're going to repent. They're going to do something right away about it. They didn't delay. They have a big change of heart. And look at what happens in verse 6. This is democracy. First time we've seen. This is a people that repented, and then because of the repentance, because of them putting sackcloth, putting the 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 the, the sackcloth, the dirty clothes on themselves, they they're actually actually impacted up top. See, in MBA we learn about bottom up management. That doesn't usually work because my manager will always say no, and I say, oh okay, you're the boss. So what can I do? So bottom up management doesn't work usually, even in America. But yet. In a culture like this one, which is always top down, the, whatever the king says is the law. And yet we see in this text, the people changed so much that the king noticed something unique, something is happening. And he heard the message, and what did he say? He said, No, thank you. I like to be what I like to be. Is that how he responded? No, he said, He did exactly what everybody else did. He repented, put on sackcloth. But beyond that, he actually make a law. Everybody, you, all you 600,000 people, you must do the same thing. In case you haven't heard, we only got 40 days. Now, repent and join me. Perhaps this God will listen to us. Okay, verse 9, right? He didn't say, if we do this, this God has to forgive us. This God owed us. Therefore, if we repent, we will for sure be forgiven. No, no. He didn't come at God at a demanding attitude. Did he? No. He came at God as a I know I'm damned. I know I'm supposed to be judged. I know I'm supposed to be punished because I know I'm a sinner. I'm wicked. He had no expectation. Doesn't that remind us of the parable of the the particle son? right? When the younger brother came home, he had no expectation to be part of the father's family. And that's that's, that's what we call true repentance. We don't come at, come at God as expecting, you must forgive me because you said you would. That's not the true heart attitude. It's true. God will not go back on his word. But it's also true that when we come across God, we don't want to have that kind of demanding, self-justifying attitude. Do you want me to look one more time at the repentance, right? They, They change. They change. Look at our... So, so many repentance we see in our day and age, in our culture. So many college students, I used to be part of a college ministry. People come to know Jesus. They say, I I, joined, I I went to that conference. I raised my hand. I feel a car. I'm part of church now. I'm part of the elite group of Christian saints. Awesome. And yet they go home, they watch the same thing they shouldn't be watching. They listen to the music that they shouldn't be listening to. They, they use cuss words just that, the way they used to. They, they they, walk like a duck, they act like a duck, they walk like a duck. And so when you call them a non-Christian, when you call them a duck, they get offended. They're like, how dare you call me a non-Christian? I pray a prayer, I was baptized, I'm part of the church. And yet there's no change, no true evidence of salvation. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we're going to earn salvation because of our good works. Because they put sackcloth on, now they earn salvation. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if these, if our profession of faith is real, there will, there will always be evidence of salvation. If you don't believe me, go to First John chapter two. But we don't, we won't have time to go there right now. There is evidence. If we are part of the light, we will walk in the light. <laughs> hey so now we come into our final verse in in verse 10 we have to read that together one more time when God saw what they did how they turned from the evil way God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it God relented. God changes mind. I thought God is immutable. Isn't that one of the attributes of God? He's unchangeable. What on earth is this text talking about that God relented? He changed. He was supposed to judge them, but he didn't. How could this be? Come back next week because it talks about it in chapter four. So we're going to talk about. So Jeff is going to handle that next week. No, we won't won't do that. Okay, God relented doesn't mean that he is going to save you. And now he said, oh, I changed my mind. I'm sorry. Too bad. I don't feel like saving you today. No, God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't change his mind. So we have a couple of texts here here that um, that we can take a look at. I don't think I have it on this slide. But Amos chapter 7. We see a very similar. If you just jot that down, Amos chapter seven verse one through six, it says, "Yahweh changes my." Uh, Amos is saying, In, uh, uh, um, "Yahweh showed me that He is going to cause a lotus, lotus swarm to destroy the field, but when He pleads with God, God i change. From, I'll change. I, I won't do it. I won't do that.' And then once again, it should, God showed Amos another another problem." Um, um, that God would destroy his, these Israelites by fire. Uh, Amos prayed to God, Lord God, stop and God changes mind. We keep seeing this language that God changes. So are all these Christians wrong? I thought God is immutable. He cannot change. Right, from a human perspective, it looks like God is changing. But God never changes. God never changes. What I mean by that is, if the text doesn't say, God relented. Would we from the reading perspective, from a human perspective, would we know that God was extending mercy? Can you imagine if this whole story just didn't happen? And there was a bad Jonah preach and say, "Yeah, you know what? Whether you do thing, whether you repent or not, it's okay, God will this is not going to happen anyway because God already knew that you guys are going to it's going to happen." Then we wouldn't know that God is merciful. The fact that we see in a text, it says God changed. It doesn't mean that hey, God previously have predestined from 10 billion years ago, well, ten million, ten thousand 10,000 years ago, I, not billions, okay, thousands, 10,000 years, 6,900 years ago, <laughs> that these people are going to get judged and killed. And now I will change my all my salvation plan to save them. That's not what it means by the word relent, by when we, every time we see the word cha- God, the Lord Yahweh, change his mind, it's not referring to that he has a, he has a predestined plan and now his plan is, has to be pulled back. We Every time we see that word change from in every minor prophet and major prophet in Old Testament, we see that it is trying to communicate that God has mercy. God has mercy. God has mercy. God is long-suffering. God is his loving kindness extended to people. It's not talking about our immutable God changing his character and his plan. That's not what we have in this text either. Verse 10, coming back to our text here. We see, once again, the, our merciful God. God used Jonah to preach a message that was hard to hear. Very, very hard to hear. Let's read that one more time. What kind of message did he preach? He says, in verse four, "Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown." That's all we have again, and God used that message to speak through. For the most part, rebellious prophet, right? For the most part, rebellious. It took a fish three nights to get to get him to to go and speak. And it didn't say anything about how he preached. It does say that he walked about, ha- about a day's journey to get around the center of the city to preach. And that message of judgment brought what, perhaps the greatest revival we have ever seen in history. Some of us here are missionaries. Some of us here have been so torn between how to accurately communicate the gospel some of us here have studied so many methodologies on how to plan churches, on how to, to make the message a little easier to swallow for the hearers. And yet we constantly see whether it's John the Baptist, whether it's Apostle Paul, whether it's the first martyr in, in the New Testament, Stephen. We keep seeing there's a cons- consistent pattern that those prophets, those Apostles, those disciples of Christ, the faithful ones never alter the message. So you might ask, I want to help the church. I want Cambodians to come to know Christ. I want... So the question I will have is, do we think that we can help Cambodia best by some form of methodology. I've been studying methodology in Cambodia. The methods that are used here in 1999 that promise exponential growth. It is used by some of our own organization people. <laughs> That's pretty pretty sad. But that exponential growth in 1999, guess what the percentage of Christian was back then? It is 0.3% 0. 0, uh, 0. Christian in Cambodia in 1999. It promised exponential growth. We see all these church plant, a hundred Baptist churches happen all because of this method. And now watch, it's going to happen and skyrocket. Cambodia is going to be saved. Right well, now it's been about 24 years since that happened. Guess what the percentage of Christianity today is in Cambodia. You might, you might see numbers like 2%, 3%. Well, the latest number from the statistics of here is here, it says point zero three percent sounds familiar huh sounds exactly like the number from 1999 and you know what over over there at the 100 year anniversary you know which group among the protestant christians which group brag about their growth the most those are not the protestant evangelical christians those are the mormons that says our church is skyrocketing may i remind all of us that mormons don't believe the same scripture and god that we do And sometimes we defer so much on the methodology and try to promote more numbers instead of faithfully listening to the Word of God, study the scriptures, and equip local saints so that the church can grow healthy. And whether whether that comes, whether the result of the faithful teaching, preaching, whether the result is going to be make a revival like in Nineveh with perhaps up to 600,000 people coming to know Christ, or it could be like Jeremiah, a prophet that preached faithfully. And I don't don't believe there's any convert for 40 years. Man, I would be fired from my company, I think. I'm not sure. Uh, My boss is not here. guess good. All right. No numbers versus massive number. So the question I have for us, whether it's missionaries, whether it's Christian workers, for all of us Christians here, what kind of Christian do you want to be? Do we want to be an unfaithful worker like Jer- like Jonah, that requires a fish to cause him to obey God and then preach, or are we going to be faithful Christian like the prophets in Old Testament from Jeremiah to Ezekiel to Apostle Paul? They didn't have an easy time. Many of them die a hard death, but they were faithful. And again, if I can end with this. What categorizes a faithful prophet is someone who listens to what God says, which what we have is the scripture. We don't have an audible version of God that, and that speaks to our ear headphones. No, we have the word of God, which according to First Peter, is even more reliable, even more applicable, more impactful than seeing the unveiled glory of Christ. So that's the word of God that we have. So. Let me, let me pray for us as we end and let me f- ask God that God would be merciful to us as he did to the Ninevites. God, we are so thankful for your word. We're thankful for the story of Jonah, not because Jonah was a Greek speaker, not because he was awesome, not because the Ninevites deserve salvation, deserve mercy. We are thankful for this story because we see who you are. We see your mercy upon these people that do not deserve it. And not for a second do we think that we are better than them. Perhaps we don't. None of us have killed anybody. None of us, you can say we're not as bad as these Ninevites were. God, according to your holy, righteous standard, we deserve the same judgment as they did. The only... The only reason we're standing here, we're able to believe the gospel is because of what your son has done on the cross for us and your Holy Spirit who opened our eyes to your truth. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for saving us. Help us. For those of us here who have not committed a life to follow you, help them. Help them open their spiritual eyes. Don't sit through another gospel message. Don't sit through another Bible reading at home. Don't sit through another sermon wondering, hmm, is this for me? God, may you, we, we beg you, open their spiritual eyes to see you for who you are. A God who is worthy of our praise, a God who is thrice holy, a God who is loving, merciful, and just, we lift you up on high. We promise in King Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.